This is Amy Poehler. My new movie, Disney and Pixar's Inside Out 2, is coming to theaters June 14th, and it's making me feel joy Woo! and sadness oh. and anger. Ah! Definitely some disgust. Rose! And I think a little fear. Ah! But I'm also feeling these new emotions like anxiety, embarrassment, envy, and ennui. Ah. It's what you call the boredom. Okay, that one was weird. It's going to be the feel-everything movie of the summer. Disney and Pixar's Inside Out 2. Rated PG. Parental guidance suggested. Only in theaters June 14. Get tickets now. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. What does Colgate mean by live life to the brightest? Could it be a rich glass of red sipped inside a Parisian cafe on a snowy night when my gaze is met by a tall, mysterious... <coughs> I mean, brushing is directed with Colgate Optic White Pro Series Toothpaste gives you a visibly whiter smile in just three days, so you can live life to the brightest and finish that glass without worrying about teeth stains. Colgate Optic White. Find it at all major retailers. We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night. Ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end... What will I become? Senwa Saga. Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello! Episode 8 of Lessons in Chemistry is over, but we're just getting started here on Post Show Recaps. Um, I am Dr. Amanda, and I am here to announce that this is going to be my last episode as host of the Lessons in Chemistry podcast, and the next host of this podcast could be you. Uh, Maybe it'll be you, Dr. Melissa. Uh, I, what a weird coincidence. This is also my last episode of lesson, the Lessons in Chemistry podcast. But you know what? As they say, uh, I prefer the humanities. Such a wild yeah. line. I was like, girl, okay. I get it. You know, you don't want to follow exactly in your parents' footsteps. Um, Melissa, here we are at the end of the road. This is the final episode, the finale of Lessons in Chemistry. How are you feeling about it? I feel like a few different ways. This is not really where I thought the story would go. And so it's been interesting. 
there's like parts of the show that I've really enjoyed and there are characters that I've really enjoyed meeting. Um, and I think it just wasn't the show that I thought it was going to be. <laughs> and so mm-hmm. I don't know that that is like necessarily an indictment on the show more so than like perhaps the billing of it. It was just, it wasn't as much about Elizabeth's career as I thought it was going to be. And it was more kind of her life holistically and her relationship and her daughter's relationship and and, um, yeah, all that kind of stuff, which was interesting. And I'm, you know, certainly enjoyed talking about it with you. It was just not Mm -hmm. the show that I thought we were going to be talking about when we talked about episode one. Yeah, I very much agree. I mean, it's like it's sad to be on the at the end of this road. I think that this show has provided like a great platform for you and I to talk about some important issues. I think we've had great conversations. I think that, you know, I've had a lot of fun with some of the content area. I baked the brownies again just yesterday and they were delicious as as ever. Um, So I've had I'm, I'm sad that the show is over. I do have sort of mixed feelings about how successful I think this show was in what it wanted to do, or maybe it wanted to do too many things. And that might've been part of the issue, but I'm excited to break it all down. Um, before we do that, um, you know, you can always, we're, we're done talking about lessons in chemistry, but the Apple TV plus podcast feed over poster recaps is still bumping. Uh, There's Buccaneers (laughs) is going on right now. There's also Monarch is being covered. So um, if you like what we're doing, if you watch Apple TV Plus, then you can follow along with all of that by going to posturerecaps.com slash Apple TV Plus in your podcatcher of choice. Um, So Melissa, we start this episode introduction to chemistry. That's comes at the end. The introduction to chemistry comes at the end, which is a little bit surprising because usually an introduction comes <laughs> at the beginning. Um, but we start introduction to chemistry um, back at St. Luke's School for Boys in the Stacks where we had left Madeline and Elizabeth with the Great Expectations book, um, Finding Calvin's Name and the Remsen Foundation seal. Um, and what does that mean? It's a lead. So we have this reprisal of our scene that we've already seen 30 years earlier where the Beau Bridges character, who I think we discover his name is Harry Wilson in this episode, or maybe we already discovered that and I just wasn't paying close enough attention. Um, but we see this scene again where he goes uh, to the school to talk to the priest about Calvin, only this time we get the full extent of what conversation transpired and that that filthy liar priest was in fact lying and told him that Calvin had died of tuberculosis. Yeah, I I love this line of his where he's like, oh, yeah, my uh, secretary misspoke or whatever. And I was like, oh, yes, because I so often confuse alive and died of TB last summer. Those are, it's such a slip of the tongue that I, 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 too, find myself making on the phone. Silly, dumb secretaries do be like that, Melissa. (laughs) Um, So, you know, that's that backstory that they fill in. And then we see this montage of Calvin working in class, uh, bootlegging 
the alcohol for the business, money changing hands, all of that. And we get this picture of this bleak childhood where Calvin was this close to finding his birth mother. Yeah, this sort of, it was funny. I like saw this woman and my, which we'll get to in a second, but it was like, my mind did not go, yes, this woman is clearly this guy's mother. I was like, you do not, I, I thought it was going to be like a long lost sister or something. Yeah, Rosemary DeWitt is the actress who plays uh, Avery Parker, who is um, Calvin's birth mother. So um, Rosemary DeWitt, I'm going to, look up her age. I bet that she is, um, you know, in the ballpark of could be. So she's 52 years old, born in 1971. And we find out that she was like a very, very young mother. And then the actor who plays Calvin Evans is, um, let's see, lessons in chemistry. I knew it's, it's Lewis Pullman. Bill Pullman's son, who was born in 1993. So 30 and 51, like she definitely could be his mother. Yeah. Especially yeah, his mother. For sure. Yeah. I think she said like had him at 16 and whatever. 16. So it, the, the math all checks out. Uh, I think it's just one of those where I was like, she's she's looking good. She's, she's yeah. I mean, it's a testament to, to Rosemary DeWitt. Yeah. Um, so, um, Right. So then we get this special intro theme, which is like the same, um, the same credit sequence animation, but with different music. Did you notice that, Melissa? I did. And it made me so upset. <laughs> I, um, <laughs> this was one of those situations where I was like, this show has had heavy topics up until mm -hmm. now. There have been so many episodes where the music of the intro sequence has felt like a literal slap in the face after whatever scene we had just watched and then it was like i was like wait is this different now because mad is sad that her dad she isn't gonna fight i was like so the kid is sad and now the music changes i was like we've seen some really dark stuff in this in this thing so it was just funny to me that i was like why is this the time that we changed the music out of all the, i guess it's just because it's the finale mm -hmm. um but yeah i did think that this was wild i was like ready for it for like the eighth and final time of this like very cheery like wham bam thank you ma'am yeah, yeah. <laughs> we didn't get that i was so confused we got the very special episode of Lessons in Chemistry theme yeah. song. Um, yeah, it was an interesting choice. Um, so from there, we cut to the studio where we see that Walter has bought flowers for the office and Fran like first sort of criticizes that they're not good enough, but then is like quickly very touched when she finds out that Walter bought them to spruce up the office. And this is like the beginning of their budding romance. It was cute. I like these two. I'm happy. This is cute. Friend I like these people. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. I do. I do like both of these actors and both of these characters. And you know, Elizabeth is, of course, uh, gonna give Fran this pep talk. And it's also like very sweet that we see how far the relationship between these two women has come, where like they actually are friends at this point and like are you know confiding in each other and sharing things warmly whereas it was sort of tinged 
early on in like Elizabeth's early Hastings Labs days of being, um, you know, slightly more of a hostile undercurrent. And Elizabeth tells Fran, you must ask him to dinner. And um, Fran says, no, that's what the man does. And she says, well, not if the man is shy, not if the man doesn't know his self-worth, not if the woman is confident, not if the woman knows what she wants. Yeah. I mean, I imagine um, this was going to be quite the fiery take back in the day. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Um, yeah. So this is, uh, you know, the, the the feminist messaging here of, you know, step up and and ask for what you want. Um, and uh that this cuts to a meeting where uh, Elizabeth and uh, Walter have to talk to Phil um, because the news is in that Swift and Crisp has pulled their endorsement. They don't think politics belongs in the kitchen. So Supper at Six no longer has a sponsor. And uh, Phil lectures Elizabeth that, you know, the show is not a public service. It's a business. You have two weeks to find a sponsor or you're fired. Yeah, uh, I'm sort of, again, this is, you know, this guy being a jerk, but it's also one of those where, like we had sort of said, I don't know what Elizabeth thought was Mm -hmm. going to happen. So, um I did like the sort of turnaround of this storyline throughout this episode of mm-hmm. where we will end up with it. <laughs> uh, the Tampax sponsorship, I mm-hmm. for some reason made me laugh that I, you know, the idea of it being very scandalous that they might advertise on TV. And so mm-hmm. they find the most like kind of the biggest woman's audience they could find. <laughs> mm hmm. Um, yeah. So now we have this, like, the clock is ticking and Elizabeth is going to save the show. She's going to be responsible for bringing in this sponsor. Um, so this is what Elizabeth is dealing with. Um, at Harriet, um, Harriet's work with the, uh, the Sugar Hill, um, advocacy group is she's been trying to lobby the votes among the council members to oppose the freeway being built through the neighborhood. Um, And she's been working on this now for seven years and it's coming to a vote. And they had two council people in limbo, um, Thomas and Summers and Thomas is out, but Summers is in giving her the votes that she would need to stop the freeway project. So she is ecstatic. Yeah, I feel like I instantly knew that this wasn't going to go over the way Harriet expected it to. Too good to be true, yeah. Yeah. First of all, I can't believe this, like, highway conversation has been going on for eight years. That feels wild, although probably in line with how long it takes to get these kinds of Mm -hmm. projects approved. Um, I will say I don't feel great about how Harriet's storyline was wrapped up. It sort of felt... I, I loved the like moment we'll get between her and Elizabeth later. I thought that was really great. But I was just, I didn't know what Harriet was going to do next. And I just wish right. that we got anything from her about what that would be. Um, I like this sort of woman with a bullhorn mm-hmm. conversation that we're going to get to. And then I was like, okay, so what are you going to do with that, Harriet? Are you going into local politics? Is that even something a woman at this time could do? Are you 
going to take on some other issue as a lawyer? Like what's the, um, yeah, I just wanted to like know what, what's going on with, with Harriet now. And I get that this is like a character that has sort of been changed quite a bit from who she was in the original book, but I feel like we could have given her something. Right. I agree. I mean, because we get to see Elizabeth land on her feet and like, it's not that Elizabeth's character doesn't face like drawbacks and adversity, but we get to see like her hopefulness in like in having navigated that. And we get to imagine what her next stage and her next frontier is. And the fact that we see Harriet like suffer such a crushing defeat that's the culmination of like her only reason to be in the show aside from her relationship to Elizabeth and of course she's a a, a mother and and a wife as well like but we 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 just don't see anything in her story resolve aside from this being a failure in her sort of i mean continuing to you know to to have a fighting spirit but it feels like a disservice that we introduce this character and take it only this far and we don't get to see the same kind of imagine a hopeful future for her like not I mean not that her life is terrible but that this is like a story so much about these women who are pursuing careers and she talks about how it's not just I mean I guess she sort of alludes to this and I know we're jumping ahead, but that this isn't just about this freeway project in my in her neighborhood. It's about all of these communities and all of these places across the country. So, I mean, it, I do feel like I wanted to see a little bit more of a connection of what is that going to mean for Harriet moving forward. Um, that I think that that would have been nice. Yeah, even if it was just something to show us that Harriet has now taken up the next cause, right? That she sort of, mm-hmm. you know, accepted this defeat and, and you know, processed the emotion of that. And now she's making phone calls for kind of some other community project right. or some other thing, you know, just something to be like, okay, she's not done fighting. She's, you know, mm-hmm. you one, but you, you pick up, I don't know, just like anything to kind of give Harriet some sort of story going on past this yeah. show. Um, we cut to the Remsen Foundation where the women in the office are all abuzz because Elizabeth Zott has been calling Harry Wilson's office. And, um, you know, he doesn't know from Elizabeth Zott because he's just a dumb man, but he <laughs> gets that this is very exciting. So he returns her call. Um, but it doesn't reach her at this time because she's filming Supper at Six. Um, when Elizabeth goes to take to take her Q&A, we see that Phyllis is back. Phyllis yeah. who asked a question uh, just a couple of weeks ago. And she has news that she was accepted to USC Medical School. Yeah, because that's how quickly it, it all happens, right? It's totally... Well, I don't know how much time has been a little bit confusing to track in in this this show. But um, yes, uh, Dr. Phyllis, open heart surgeon. She's the oldest student in the class. She's exhausted all the time, but she's never been happier. And she thanks Elizabeth for seeing something in her that she didn't see in herself. Yeah, I thought this was great. I liked it. I um, 
It, there were like a few different points in this episode that pointed to the idea of like Elizabeth teaching. Um, mm -hmm. And this was sort of one of them where I was like, yeah. And, and it's funny. It's where I thought it's what I thought Mad was going to say later on in the episode. Yeah. Which, which was. Yeah. Um, but there were a few different times that I thought there was going to be a conversation of like you could have the same you could do the same thing. You could have the same impact on people in the classroom on like the next generation of women basically that yes. are like up and coming or whatever but uh it's like sort of what we get but it wasn't uh quite as uh we didn't get there as quickly as i thought we were going to but it was mm -hmm. nice to see these little like kind of breadcrumbs throughout. right right this like this was a moment where you're like wow elizabeth really has this talent for bringing out the best in people this is something that walter said about her you know that um it earlier on you 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 meet people where they are and you raise them up um and you know this was really show really show highlighting elizabeth's capacity to do that and you know the idea that she could do this in the classroom just just makes a lot of sense um we see elizabeth and walter together in his office um talking about kind of the predicament they're in with the sponsor uh we also find out elizabeth has been invited to be a judge at a middle school science fair uh which she is happy to do um elizabeth sort of plants the seed uh to walter that if the opportunity for love presents itself she would like him to consider it I was so nervous that Walter was going to misunderstand this and think that Elizabeth was coming on to him or something. So I'm really glad that we didn't get that. Yeah. Um, well, any yeah. anyone would like it. It it very much sat like it's like, oh, are you dating anybody? You should yeah, be right. Like, I just. <laughs> yeah, it was like these two apparently seem to know themselves well enough and have a good enough friendship that that's not mm -hmm. how he took it. But it was. I was nervous for a second. Um, I thought this like judging of the high school science fair was very fun because I've definitely done stuff like this. I'm sure you have uh -huh. too. Mm -hmm. Like it, it's a very fun experience to kind of talk to kind of, I, I don't know, come in as like a guest judge for a, a science project. Yeah. And I have many memories of my own years doing high, like elementary school science fairs. Do you have any uh, science fair projects from your childhood that you were particularly proud of? Um, yeah, absolutely. Actually, I, I, it was one of those things where I felt like I always went like so far above and beyond and my, like my mm -hmm. dad got really into it with me. So we mm -hmm. like, it was like a whole thing that we like spent way too much time on. Um, but I remember in a couple times I got to go to like our district levels. Like I got to, you know, wow. go beyond my like school and go present it. Like there was like, I remember setting up like booths at the mall or something and we were mm -hmm. all there like setting up our science projects and in grade seven, I can't even remember what the actual project was about, but it was something to do with like greenhouse gas emissions and mm. we it involved dry ice at the time. Oh, and so yeah. I just remember that being like super fun and having to like, you know, wear gloves and everything, obviously to handle mm -hmm. it and stuff. But it was like as a some sort of demonstration of, you know, greenhouse gas emission. I can't even remember what the uh -huh. specifics of it was, but I was I was pretty proud of that one. It felt it felt good. Dry ice is amazing. It's like magical. Yeah, it's very fun. What about you? Um, um I only had like one like real science fair um when I was in elementary school. Um and my project for that was I made 
a solar oven and I cooked a hot dog in it. And in my display, I had the solar oven like with the hot dog in it that was cooked to show that it worked. And like, you know, my whole thing explaining how, you know, it, it reflected the heat and, you know, all of these things. Um, but I got really embarrassed as the day went on. Cause like the hot dog got kind of like shriveled and gross looking. And I oh, felt no. like really <laughs> like embarrassed that like people were like looking at this, like little, like shriveled up hot dog that looked like a beef jerky stick or something by like the end of the day. So like I, I at some point I like threw it out. And oh, no. then I felt like really dumb because I didn't even have the hot dog. And that was like such a big part of the thing. So I, I was a lot of a lot of anxiety and mixed emotions about the science fair project. Yeah, I um I was at a um a, an ultimate Frisbee tournament a few years ago. And mm -hmm. I um play with a group where there's like a weird amount of us that are all like kind of scientists or science teachers or, you know, mm -hmm. in some in some way. And so our theme for the tournament was elementary school science fair. And so we all made like trifold boards with experiments yeah. and stuff. And we like played the whole day dressed up in like lab coats and safety goggles oh, and whatever. Adorable. And then we were like at halftime, we were like presenting our experiments. So my buddy and I did um, elephant toothpaste when you like um, oh yeah baking soda colored reaction but we did right. it like in a jack-o-lantern because it was a halloween tournament um and so yeah that <laughs> so that many was my layers life. to this melissa <laughs> yeah yeah it was very fun and it was you know we had our like whole string and so then at the party that night we like set them all up outside of the dance hall and people could like go around and look at the different ones and we were like presenting pretending to present and obviously the uh, the projects were very ranged in terms of the, a lot of other one, a buddy of mine was just like, will it explode? And it was just like different things that he kept putting in like gaps of camera, um, like can like film canisters and stuff. Uh -huh. And so, you know, varying degrees of scientific, uh, integrity there, but it was, it was very fun. So yeah, that was the last time that I presented it. As a science oh, fair. that's so you, Melissa. I love it. Yeah. <laughs> Um, at the Rudson Foundation, Harry Wilson finally uh, fields Elizabeth's call, and um, she would like to meet in person. So Madeline and Elizabeth go to the Rudson Foundation, and Elizabeth and Matt tells Mad that she's nervous. They go in. Uh, in Harry Wilson's office, there's pictures of Scientific Americans and different magazines on display with Calvin on the cover. Um, and Liz, you know, asks Harry when he comes in, why did the Remsen Foundation support Calvin his whole life? Um, and, you know, he wants to know how she's connected to Calvin. Um, and then she introduces Madeline as her and Calvin's daughter, um, to which, you know, Harry Wilson, like, be immediately becomes very, um, reacts to this and is with interest. And he says, well, this isn't for me to explain. And this is when we get uh, Rosemary DeWitt playing Avery Parker on the golf course, receiving an urgent message. Yeah. So is this meant to imply that basically Calvin got his science funded because of who his mother, but he was like, he would have had to have been on the cover 
of Scientific American for them to see him first. So I think he like, I think it's meant to be that he sort of got that initial award and then they realized Mm-hmm. Then, but he got it through the, or did he end up on Scientific American? I, so I don't, yeah. He won the Remsen. I'm very confused by the order of all of this, and also if this means that maybe Calvin wasn't all that great. Of a He's a nepo baby. Yeah. Oh no, Calvin is a nepo baby. Um, yeah. So, all right. So we know that the Rem that the Remsen Foundation has been kind of supporting Calvin his whole life. But I mean, do first, we know that, or do we know that he won one grant one time? Well, we know that at at the time that she was twenty five years old, she established a foundation that donated money to all of the boys' homes within a three hundred mile radius. So the reason, the initial connection between the Remsen Foundation books in the library at St. Luke's and Calvin being there was like presumably and we we hear the priest say this when harry nelson when harry wilson shows up that like oh he benefited like greatly from the support Mm -hmm. of the remsen foundation he has this aptitude in science so first of all like we'll, we'll just pause to try to understand like exactly the details of this history so avery Parker gives birth to Calvin when she's 16 years old and her parents force her to give the baby up um, to a, an orphanage um, against, against her will. That's not what she wants. Um, And she's obviously a very, very rich person from a very rich family. Mm -hmm. We don't know how or why they're rich, but at the age of 25, she gets access to her trust. So now she has control of her money. So at this point, Calvin is nine. Yep. And has been in these boys' homes, has been at St. Luke's, I guess, since he was a baby um, or at another boy's home. Um, So from the time that he's nine, like she's carpet bombing money at every boy's home within a 300 mile radius which sounds like a lot of money and is like this is like a very inefficient strategy and she also is like high employing this lawyer who she becomes close with that becomes sort of like a paternal relationship to her to try to find him and then they find him at St. Luke's um, but immediately she like realizes he is he he has died because the priest lies to her so at that point does she continue to fund these boys schools yeah i don't know i i imagine it's sort of meant to imply that she then goes on to like establish this foundation and stuff out of the goodness of her heart i guess which is fine um but it's then the like the order of him winning the Remsen Foundation, him appearing on Scientific American, right. and them figuring out that he's alive. That I like don't don't know. know so I mean, he might have a, like he and he might have gotten you know prominence without having received any like this particular mm-hmm. award because like as we've pointed out, so the Remsen Foundation, like in scientific funding there's um 
you know, foundation money, which are these different, you know, charitable trusts or nonprofits that are like put together specifically to fund science. And, you know, MacArthur is one of these. So if you've heard of the MacArthur Award, um, there's um, Templeton is one of these. Like there's a there's a handful of these kind of prestigious foundation awards, which can be quite large. Um, and then the largest source of scientific funding in the United States is probably the federal government, which includes yeah, our Department of Canada. Defense and the National Institutes of Health, the National Science Foundation. So most of what, um, you know, research, most of the ways that people fund their research programs comes from different federal awards, which would be different from, you know, this Remsen, which is a private foundation award. Um, and then there's industry, which is another way to fund science, but that's less um, industry funding would be more supporting kind of specific applied applications that would have a path towards commercialization. So in chemistry, when you're supported by industry, it's probably drug development, um, or, you know, something along those lines. So, um, it's very possible that Calvin could have became a very important, prominent scientist without having received one of these grants from the Remsen Foundation, like receiving a grant from another foundation or from a federal government program or something like that. Yeah. So I guess it's just... So that's the idea, I guess, is that he ends up on the cover and then applies for this grant and they're like, hey, we know that guy. And they like give him the grant yes. after knowing who he is. So again, it just does feel like nepotism, right. like you said. I also don't totally know how they like see this profile and know that this is 100 percent. Mm -hmm. Calvin I'd like because I don't know where the last name Harris comes from but I guess whatever he was given up as Calvin Harris and they just assumed that uh, yeah, Calvin, so many Calvin Harry yeah. um, <laughs> well I yeah. mean I guess I guess that when I guess that when um I guess that at the point that Wilson identifies him like they know like so she knows that his name was Cal like that was her wish for his name and when Wilson finds him it's it he knows that he, it's Calvin Evans at St. Luke's and then Evan, from yeah. the yeah and then I don't know how they can definitively say that this like Calvin Evans of roughly the same age must be hers but like that's when she starts sending the letters and we sort of noted that the fact that he was getting such persistent letters um, from somebody suggested that there might be an actual connection. And this wasn't just grifters who send letters to everybody on the cover of Scientific American, which I don't think is the best con strategy that yeah. you could employ. Um, so, so that's, so that sort of fills in that gap. And that is Avery Parker's backstory but like you said, Melissa, I mean, to the question of, um, you know, how does this affect our perception of Calvin's merits as a scientist? It seems like he, you know, made a 
big splash on his own merits. And like, maybe he benefited from being at one of these boys homes that had a better library and some science equipment. Um, but that's hardly, I think an unfair leg up in the world. Mm -hmm. Um, but then, you know, at the point that he makes this big splash, it seems like he had kind of continuously been, you know, receiving this award, you know, like a grants come in like, you know, two or three or five year cycles. And then you need mm -hmm. to apply again to continue to get funding. You need to demonstrate that you have a good idea and that your science is progressing and that you know what the next step is. Um, and when we meet Calvin, like we do get the impression that he's kind of dried up and like not and and you know mm -hmm. not like he's maybe out of ideas or has lost his inspiration and he really benefits from Elizabeth's input um so it's possible like it's very common for people to early in their careers i mean it's not very common but like you know it's one trajectory is you make a big splash with like a fortuitous finding and you have a great high impact paper and it's not always easy to parlay that into a sustainable program of research beyond that. So the fact that Calvin might have had a little extra help and cushion to get from that point um, beyond, um, you know, could speak to some of the uh, unfair or, you know, benefits that he got unearned privilege of having this sort of guardian angel in Avery. Yeah, because I guess the alternative is some idea of he applied, they didn't know it was him, he won the award, and that is just like this coincidence that he happened to like win the award of the foundation that mm -hmm. was like sort of made in order to support him, which feels a bit wild. Um, and then as part of the Scientific American profile, I guess in his backstory, it mentions that he was in a boy's home or whatever, and that's how they figure out that this is right. the same Calvin that she gave up. I, I, I sort of feel like that's what we're supposed to think is that it is just sort of this like big cosmic coincidence, but that it doesn't necessarily undercut Calvin's um, aptitude for science or anything like that, yeah. which is fine. I think it's just like slightly too cute for me um, <laughs> that, the, that it's the well, same the, the, foundation. The, the, the coincidences and the inevitability and the predestination is like definitely a theme of yeah. this episode. Um, so I, I think that you're right to pick up on that. And I think your mileage may vary with how well that works for you as, as a theme. Um, so, so that's, that's where we are with that. Um, I, the other thing I had a question about, you know, through this was, you know, why, why science? Like what is Avery Parker's connection to science? Cause that seems like a little bit of a happy accident, which like I said, is probably the point that, you know, that our lives are a series of, of happy accidents that are, you know, linked together in this chain that creates our existence. Um, but, you know, that doesn't really get justified or explained, at least in the episode. Yeah, because I feel like all it would have taken would have been 
the conversation with the priest when, you know, he says that mm-hmm. Calvin died. Um, he could have, like, as he's telling him about, like, oh, yeah, Calvin was this whatever. Like, if he had just said, like, oh, he he was particularly interested in chemistry mm-hmm. or something. And mm-hmm. so, like, as this way, you know, Avery, like, takes that information is like, okay, I'm going to, like, continue on this memory of this son I never got to know by, like, investing in chemistry Mm -hmm. and it's like oh and then it you know turns out this is like the one true thing he said or whatever um and i don't know if that was like supposed to be it was sort of there yeah i think it was sort of implied um but um yeah i think that they could have underlined it a little bit more to to make that connection a little bit more explicit Mm -hmm. um so avery meets uh, Madeline and Elizabeth over tea at the Zot household. Um, and this is where, you know, Avery gives the backstory that we've already talked about quite a bit. Um, she is clearly very interested in getting to know Madeline. She didn't get to know Calvin at all, um, but she would love to you know know more about his life and get to know his daughter but elizabeth is still very protective over madeline and um you can tell she's a little bit wary about inviting this person into their lives um and tells her you know it's been a long journey to get here and we're going to need some time yeah which i thought was a pretty fair answer i was sort of you know i thought this was a very like understandable reaction Mm -hmm. that basically avery would be so desperate to like get to know these two and mad in particular and that elizabeth would be you know a bit like okay let's take our time though like you have been waiting for this for a really long time but like we just found out you existed so um yeah this is where we find out that um the name Calvin is after John Calvin, the 16th century theologian, um, the father of Calvinism, the sect of Christianity that believes in predestination, um, which, you know, Elizabeth is not familiar with. But when she hears the story, uh, tells Avery that that would have delighted Calvin. So this is, again, like hitting very heavily on this science versus faith theme um and we and we find out that um that Avery's family seems to if not you know have been calvinists um that Avery's grandmother would read John Calvin to her what do you think of this as a theme that runs sort of heavily throughout the episode this idea that there is some sort of inevitability um there's you know, later Elizabeth is going to say that, you know, the the connections in our lives, you don't see them. It doesn't make sense as it's going. But when you look backwards, um, you see how it's all connected. So what she says, um, think of your own life. You can't anticipate the moments. It's only when you look backwards that you see how it's all connected. Um, what do you think about this kind of metaphor of taking chemistry and using it as a way as a metaphor as Madeline points out that hey that's a metaphor as a metaphor (laughs) for um for this more philosophical 
approach to free will versus determinism? Um, I it's it's fine. It's just not the side of this that I thought they would come up with. It's mm -hmm. like she, she's like, oh yeah, he would have delighted in that in that knowledge of being named after. And I was like, would he have? Like this feels so mm -hmm. antithetical to like theories of evolution and abiogenesis mm -hmm. as a result like so much like the whole the whole point of evolution is that there like were theories around there that like oh the giraffe has a really long neck because it's you know helpful for it to go and like so it's stretched up to get the the high mm -hmm. leaves and over time developed the long neck and it's like no 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 that's not how it happened like yeah random chance meant that some giraffes had longer necks than others and because they could reach the higher leaves. They were better able to survive and procreate and pass down their genes to other mm -hmm. giraffes so that over time, giraffes ended up having a long neck. Like it's not because of this, they developed the long neck. It's that they got the long neck and that resulted in them having a biological advantage. And so it doesn't, I, it's so predeterminism just feels very antithetical to like everything else that Elizabeth believes in that I find mm -hmm. it strange that this is sort of kind of meant to be the takeaway and the theme of this show and of this episode in particular. And I get that, I guess it's this sort of contrast to it, but um, yeah, I, I just don't really know what Elizabeth thinks of this and it doesn't fit with me that she would be at all kind of in line with this idea. Yeah. Yeah, I think that this is where um, the adaptation from a book to a show would really fail in doing justice to this theme. Because if I like if we had pages and pages of Elizabeth and Calvin talking about this notion of free will versus determinism and what that means for abiogenesis and like if we got that kind of like I think heady intellectual intellectual exchange between the two of them and saw the tensions and their philosophies and their worldviews. Like, I feel like this would be so much more rewarding. Like, and, mm -hmm. but, but because that, you know, because the show, I think tried to take on too much in terms of content areas and themes, um, it, an eight episode show doesn't have the space for that. And, you know, that's not, you know, like those kind of, you know, long, you know, two people at a kitchen table scenes are not always like, that's probably not what Apple TV wanted this show to be. So I do feel like as a book, I would have enjoyed reading that debate, like just as I think that maybe the Wakely and um, Calvin exchanges might have played better in a book. Um, but I do feel like we didn't get enough of Calvin's philosophy and how science and how science and what they were doing in the lab and what Elizabeth's ambitions were in her own career fit into this kind of broader 
philosophical debate because the fact that they're interested in abiogenesis, I think is like very germane to the theme. It's like, it's like understanding my own life and understanding how I came to be. Um, but I, I don't think that it was able to execute that in a satisfying way because of the format. Yeah. And I, I think it's interesting because I think in my mind, it's, again, like the opposite of this predetermined idea. Mm -hmm. This, uh, you know, Elizabeth looking back over her life and it's sort of like, oh, look at how all of the random happenstances and coincidence that were not predetermined mm -hmm. ha had me end up in this position. And it was through reacting to those situations that I ended up where I did, not because I was like, always destined to arrive mm. at this point. And so I don't, um, you know, and then maybe this is partially my like ignorance around predeterministic ideologies, but it was mm -hmm. just this sort of, I don't know, it does feel again, very like opposition to what Elizabeth would believe. And then I, I guess the point that I'm confused by is at the end of what is the uh, takeaway from this show are we just sort of being presented with this idea and Elizabeth still doesn't buy it and is off doing her own thing as Elizabeth bought into this sort of idea through this connection mm -hmm. does Calvin believe this like I just don't really know the takeaway of this kind of thematic idea and I so it's interesting I agree and I'm I'm curious if the book does dive more into this. I certainly imagine that it does. And it's sort of an interesting idea, but it's not one that I feel like fits with Elizabeth at all. And so I don't really know how she, yeah, like just even this line of like, oh, Calvin would have delighted into that. And I'm like, because he agrees with it? Right. With it? Like what? Why? I, I, well, I wish that we just got yeah. more context around that. Uh, yeah, exactly. And I think that there could have been interesting um, material to mine there. So as you were talking, I just Googled like how Calvinism is is related to Christian science, um, which is like, you know, the belief basically that, um, you know, that 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 God is the architect and creator of all things and to try to manipulate with science is you know, amoral. And we got the Reverend Wakeley's father refusing treatment, which is like a very kind of Christian scientist belief that, you know, that if you're sick, you shouldn't take medicine because that is subverting the will of God. So I wanted to see how Calvinism was related to the Christian science belief system. And I'm seeing some writing that, you know, John Calvin, um, has uh has said that to ne neglect the discoveries of non-christians simply because of their lack of faith is is to be guilty of sloth and that you know that some things in calvin's writing have like left room to embrace science within a framework of faith so i think it would have been interesting to kind of have this discussion on the basis of like clearly they put in this note about Reverend Wakeley's father refusing treatment. Like we have these different, these different levels of faith. Elizabeth says she's an atheist a number of times. We have the whole backstory with her family and her father as a preacher. So I think that there's 
probably that these themes are more thoroughly explored in the book. And I can see it paying off for book readers to see a nod to that in the adaptation. But I don't think that the adaptation went deep enough for lines like he would have delighted in that to like really hit and feel impactful if you're just a show viewer. Yeah, I was like just quickly trying to look up what the author of Lessons in Chemistry, if we have any information about kind of her philosophy as a way mm. of um, kind of informing this, but I can't really find anything. Um, like there's nothing on her Wikipedia page, for example. So um, yeah, it's interesting. And I think it like obviously raises this discussion, which is fun. I just would have been interested in more of this conversation happening within the context of the show. Mm -hmm. um, but I guess that's why people listen to podcasts, right? So that we can yeah. have these conversations. <laughs> we took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night. Ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end... What will I become? Senwa Saga. Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. This episode is supported by FX's Clipped. The scandalous story of the 2014 Clippers owner's racist remarks captured on tape and heard around the world. The series charts the tape's impact on a dysfunctional basketball organization striving to win against their reputation as the most cursed team in the league. Starring Lawrence Fishburne, Jackie Weaver, Cleopatra Coleman, and Ed O'Neill. FX is clipped. Now streaming only on Hulu. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. At bedtime, Elizabeth is uh, tucking in mad and um, they're kind of processing everything that's happened. Um, Madeline says that she thought that getting to the end of the mystery would feel different. And Elizabeth says, in science, discovery leads to more questions. Um, but Madeline doesn't want more questions. She just wants to know 
her dad and they have this very sweet moment where Elizabeth shares with Madeline all of the aspects of Calvin that she sees in her. Yeah, this was very sweet. Um, Elizabeth and Madeline go to the science fair together um, and she's uh, judging some of these different exhibits. Um, the One of the projects is a 3D uh, rendering with the 3D glasses of a panther. I thought that this was like a very, um, you know, uh, sort of like, like good job, but I'm not very impressed or like an A for effort sort of thing where she says, that is a very meticulous drawing of a panther. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. It was like, um, yeah, this felt like such a, such an accurate scientific study where it's like, yeah, 3D glasses. Look, and it was like, okay, but you're not actually doing an experiment at all. You're just you, you just told them to put on 3D glasses. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah. Uh, it felt like a trick. It's a story of uh, fail sons and success daughters at this science fair, though, because we have uh, the very impressive uh, study of temperature on mold growth um, by this uh, young student whose father is a baker. Elizabeth says, oh, do you want to be a baker too? And no, she wants to be a biologist. So Elizabeth recommends that she reads Darwin and Schrodinger, Schrodinger, which is um, very like eagerly accepts these recommendations. Yeah, this was very cute. And, you know, shout out to the biologist. We love it. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is where Madeline tells Elizabeth that she doesn't belong on TV. She belongs in a laboratory, which is like a little bit judgy, I think. Like, yeah, I thought this was super weird. I was like, okay, so first of all, baking is chemistry. Like, that's mm-hmm. there's no like it 100% just is. And I wanted to be like, Mad, you're a kid. Like, back off. <laughs> if your mom enjoys making this TV show, um, right. And she's finding a way to do that. Like, that's great. And then again, I, I thought she was going to say, like, you should be teaching. Yeah. Um, and then it wasn't even that. So it just felt judgy. <laughs> I was like, yeah, yeah, oh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> Yeah, because again, like, you know, the moment in the beginning when she's doing the Q&A in the studio, and then this is the other moment where you're like, oh, she's such a natural teacher. She's giving feedback. She's mm-hmm. like giving recommend. You know, it's like, and then it's like, no, you should be in a lab. Chemists do chemistry. You're not a real chemist. You're just on TV. Yeah. I was just like, okay. I, I yeah, I didn't really know why Mad was suddenly like, Oh, it like I think it's meant to be like, oh, you clearly have this like passion for science. Right. You enjoy talking about it. But like she is doing that on her show. She's talking about science and teaching people about science. So I don't really get why Mad is suddenly saying this, but it, mm-hmm. you know, it seems to seems to work, I guess. Um, at the Sloan House for Christmas, Harriet and Elizabeth are talking about Avery. Elizabeth doesn't know where Avery fits into their lives. They already have family in the Sloans. um, And Elizabeth just wants Madeline to feel safe and be loved. And she already has all of that. And um, Harriet, always so wise, says, you say that like love is finite. It never hurts to have more people who love and care for that little girl. Yeah. I like this conversation. I thought it was like very understandable that 
Um, mm -hmm. Elizabeth would be nervous about bringing Avery into their lives and, you know, potentially, um, you know, trusting another adult to have this kind of potential big influence on her daughter that she doesn't know. And so, um, but I also think Harriet's got a good point that like more, more grownups, you know, to kind of love and take care of kids is always a good thing. It's something that I, uh, I think we've talked about it already in yeah. the podcast, but something that I really love that I feel like is happening more and more is, you know, more sharing of parental responsibilities within mm -hmm. families just to, um, yeah, I think that I, I certainly understand Harriet's point. And I think it's one that sometimes people have to be, have to be reminded of that, like, you know, someone getting in a new relationship doesn't mean they no longer can have time for friends and whatever, right? Like mm -hmm. you don't, nothing about this has to be kind of a total sum. Right. Here, but yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. And the good thing about Avery is even if you push her out of your life, she'll probably like secretly fund you from afar. Yeah, there you go. That is sort of, yeah. <laughs> we will get to that conversation yeah. too, right? Where I was like, uh, anyway. Okay. <laughs> um, so, um, this is also where Elizabeth, like where they kind of prematurely celebrate that Harriet has saved the neighborhood. And if you weren't already feeling ominous about um, the likelihood of this actually pulling through at the beginning when she's so excited to get Summers's vote, then here I feel like you're like, oh no, this is not going to work yep. out the way you want it to, honey. Um, and then we get, uh, and then we get, this is like, I think the most that we get that would suggest the, um, you know, what Harriet's future might be. Um, it's just one version of what they're doing in neighborhoods like ours all over the country. I may not have cameras on me, but I'm a one woman bullhorn. And so are you. Yeah. I, I liked this part of it. I, um, I think it would have been cool to get the, the follow-up in the way that we get with mm -hmm. Elizabeth later. Like what's, what's Harriet up to with this philosophy? Cause I, I agree. I think that it's, um, I like this, this friendship of these two kind of building each other up and supporting each other. And, you know, we, we called it out, um, earlier on that it wasn't, we didn't want this to just be one-sided. And I think that we've now right. seen Elizabeth support Harriet kind of in this episode and in some previous ones enough times that I really felt like it addressed that concern that I, that I had. And it's just these two women sort of supporting each other and making family with each other that I really, I really enjoyed. I, this friendship was probably one of my favorite parts of the show. So mm -hmm. I just, that's part of why I'm just curious what the follow-up to this conversation right. was for Harriet. And there's a way that I think like it just being the like Adam Sugar Hill freeway project. It's like, this is really the vehicle for the show to tackle like the civil rights movement, mm -hmm. which I think is, it's, I think that if the show did not do this, that the reek of white feminists, white feminism mm -hmm. on it would be so strong that it could be problematic. Absolutely. So I understand and I appreciate that they tried to broaden the lens on that. Um, however, I think that it ended up not feeling like a storyline that got the time it needed to breathe and that was like fully 
well-rounded. So um, I do kind of have mixed feelings about this because on the one hand, I feel like like we were talking about science versus religion and the philosophy of free will versus determinism and how that fits into chemistry and what's it like to be a woman in a scientific career. And then this whole mystery love story of who is Calvin and who are his, like, it's like, this was a lot for eight episodes of television to do and to have like a, the civil rights story be like another thing that it added to that agenda. Um, it, 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 I think it was ultimately too much. And I, and you know, I, I'm curious because I know that the Harriet character was quite different in the book and that some of this storyline, um, as far as I can tell, was not there. Um, that it wasn't the, that, mm -hmm. that, 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 so I, I think that this was, um, something that got added on, but I would be curious to see, like, I, I come completely open to the idea that these other big issues were dealt with in a more thorough, sophisticated and satisfying way. I just think what we get on the show ended up being just kind of an uh, a dimmer echo of whatever was better handled in the book. Yeah, I think that makes sense. And I think that there was so much. And it's it's just unfortunate because I think the stuff that ends up getting the short shift here is the stuff we were most interested in with this story. You know, it wasn't mm -hmm. the love story was like not the thing that we both came in here like eager right. to watch. And so and I, you know, I get that it's like a very central part of the book. And so it's very important to tell that story. Um, but I, yeah, I, I think that it's unfortunate that it took up time away from the stuff that I think we've really enjoyed watching in terms of, um, you know, Elizabeth's career stuff and um, Harriet's career as well. And kind of these two women kind of dealing with this era and they're trying to kind of I, I think very early echoes of this like trying to have it all as a woman mm -hmm, mm -hmm. sort that so many women are still dealing with um back at the supper at six studio elizabeth is running late but she finally shows up with a big box um these are for the audience place one under each seat uh walter notices that she has a look on her face what is it and elizabeth says clarity um so we see interspersed with the live taping of supper at six elizabeth making a phone call in her dressing room um she says in the call that she's going to be starting the show with a couple of announcements um she has uh she and we eventually find out that she is leaving supper at six. She predicts that there will be a uptick in viewers in the next two weeks, which are her last live shows. Um, and she's doing this under the condition the changes will be made. And we find out that her requests to the head of the network, whose name is Kenneth, is that Phil is fired. And I think that, um, that like I don't know if Walter gets promoted or if I just made that up, but the film yeah, gets fired. Yeah, and that there's this. The next host is going to be you know somebody from the audience. So any anyway, okay, here's my question. 
um, Melissa. And there's a couple things yeah. we're going to have to go back a little bit to, to cover some of this territory, but what leverage does Elizabeth have over the head of the network to fire Phil? Like what, on what basis does she make these demands? I mean, you know, viewership is going to get slightly higher for the next two weeks. But she's leaving anyway. Like I know. I don't know. I think it's. It doesn't make any sense. And if you don't fire Phil, then what? I'll stay. Like what? Yeah. (laughs) And not and not increase your viewership. But uh, but I'll be here longer with this like kind of guaranteed thing. Otherwise, you're going to be like, and you can fire me. Like I just, it's very. It's like this. It's very weird. Like yeah, she found the sponsorship anyway, um, and. So I don't I don't know if it was like, oh, I won't help you get this Tampax sponsorship if I if you don't fire him, maybe it's it very didn't make any un- sense. Like, like when she when she like pulled rank on like Phil in that previous episode and like, you know, said I'm gonna basically pay the crew out of my own pocket and you'll lose more money like if you 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 know if if you suspend me or whatever like I it it feels a little bit like this is it, it feels like a plot hole like it feels like this doesn't quite work and in order for it to work like Elizabeth is you like this is like poor Harriet, nothing goes right for, and Elizabeth is like pulling all of these crazy moves and getting away for with it. Like this, 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 I don't think had an underlying logic to it, but it's it it it's it's meant to build up to this scene where um, she goes live and announces that Swift and Crisp are dropping the show. Um, and she thanks them because they are vile on a subchemical level. Seed oils are damaging to your mitochondria. And the fact that I told you to put that in your bodies will haunt me for the rest of my days. Melissa, what do we know about seed oils and our mitochondria? That is a great question. I uh, personally know nothing. Uh, I don't know if you do. Um, All I know is like, so I, I, I don't, I don't know. Like we've talked about how dietary research is like very, very hard to actually like understand what the effects are of different, um, you know, different nutrients on our bodies in isolation, especially because, you know, diets are very varied and you always have, you know, foods contain, a variety of nutrients um, and substances that you're eating together. And people also have diets embedded in different types of lifestyles. So a lot of these claims that like, oh, this chemical in this food does this thing or causes this, uh, this particular consequence are, um, it's hard to establish that scientifically. And there's very little research that conclusively uh, demonstrates any claim on that level. Um, the truth is like a seed oil, like seed oils, I think have become a little bit like of a modern boogeyman in like social media, like one of these food, like, you know, Oh, this is the kind of food that cause it like this particular thing causes cancers and depression and obesity and fatigue. Like, you know, like it's, it's become one of those like TikTok and Instagram, you know, fat, like 
gods that this is you know the one of these food boogeymen that is like not entirely substantiated with any sort of scientific evidence the truth is that seed oils are usually in foods that are terrible in a lot of ways like very highly processed foods that are also just high in fat and calories and salts and are part of generally unhealthy diets. Um, but in terms of when you're picking out your fat that is solid at room temperature that you're going to put in a pie crust, I don't know if like Swift and Crisp is going to be different from lard in terms of your mitochondria. Yeah, that's definitely, yeah, the, the, one of the first things that popped up when I Googled this was scientists debunk claims of seed oil health risks. And it's basically, um, you know, what you're saying that they tend to be in foods that are less healthy for you, like packaged snacks and French fries, um, but that they are not sort of, um, any like particular, culprit for weight gain or negative health outcomes. Right. Like cooking with seed oil at home isn't necessarily an issue. It's these like restaurant deep fryer oils in these like very processed fried foods that is the source of the problem. Um, there's like maybe some stuff here talking about um, polyunsaturated omega-6 right. fatty acid in relation to um, damage to the mitochondria, but I don't know if this is, I don't know how robust this finding is, or if it's like a bit of a, um, cause there's also an article, um, up that, yeah, I think you're right that this has sort of become a bit of a internet boogeyman that isn't necessarily, I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah. I mean, like it's, yeah, you shouldn't eat a lot of shortening and you shouldn't eat a lot of lard and you shouldn't eat a lot of butter. But I don't know. I, I don't know that this one claim is like is I, I was a little it, it really it, I was a little bit surprised to hear this like being put forth as like, well, this is what the smartest scientists would say about a food substance. Yeah, it's uh certainly not something that I think would be, um, I don't know. Yeah. It's definitely something that I would be a bit nervous about totally backing. I think that the research is like, sure, maybe, but also like, you know, highly fatty foods of, of any kind is, is not great. Um, you know, I don't know that any kind of particular type of fat is worse than than others and you know in yeah, small there, quantities I mean, there are, there are like there are healthier yeah, the, like fats trans fats have, and stuff but yeah right right but i mean okay, this is just this is like if this felt like a type of like modern pop science that was being put in the mouth of elizabeth like it's something that like a sophisticated scientist mm -hmm. in say would have believed and I don't I don't know that 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 fits and I also feel like it kind of elevates an argument about seed oils that um you know that is not 
fully scientifically supported. Um, yeah. Other stuff that I'm finding is like stuff on like talking about how this has sort of become a bit of a TikTok trend and that like the idea that they're bad for you is a bit of a myth. So I think that, yeah, I think you're very right in that. Um, but Tampax, we can all get behind. Um, so <laughs> Elizabeth takes this as an opportunity. Uh, look under your seat. She did it first. Move over, Oprah. Um, everybody has a box of Tampax. And then she uh, explains for the men watching who haven't bothered to ask about menstruation. She gives a little tutorial again. Um, and I, I did like Phil's reaction when she says that she explained this to the head of the network and he said she said uterus to kenneth <laughs> <laughs> yeah i mean that and she said it on television so mm -hmm. yeah so that 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 would that was badass but this is where she you know publicly announces that she's going to be leaving supper of six and the next host of supper at six will be one of you and I know that it might sound scary, but courage is the root of change. And change is what we are chemically designed for. I will not ask you, you to pull yourself up by your bootstraps because many women do not have bootstraps to pull themselves up by. If your life is anything like mine, your dreams will not come true in a linear fashion. But if you have a voice you feel is not being heard, we would love to meet you. And with that, let's discuss glazed ham. Yeah, I, it was interesting. I didn't totally, I'm, I, I don't hate the idea that it's now become this sort of open casting call and like, hey, here is this opportunity for you to seize rather than you having to like create opportunities for yourself because that mm -hmm. might be difficult to do. So I thought that that was fine. I, I don't even hate this idea of like, um, chemical basis of like change or whatever, right? Mm -hmm. Like I, I do think that there's, you know, kind of universal laws of entropy and stuff that would suggest right. that this could be true. Um, and that, you know, kind of the universe writ large and even on a chemical level is designed to kind of um, less order. And um, so that makes sense to me. And, and I do think that those, um, that does happen kind of to our bodies over time, kind mm -hmm. of the breakdown and decay and, and whatnot is sort of this loss of structure and, and loss of order and lending to chaos and change. So um, yeah, it's all fine. It was just interesting to me uh, that this was, uh, I didn't totally understand if this was coming from Mads comment specifically, I guess it's a combination of her conversation with Harriet um and this comment of mad and everything but yeah she suddenly decided this is happening <laughs> yeah yeah um so this is like again though i think underlining what is becoming the theme about um change we're chemically designed for change this kind of like merging of the chemical level of analysis with the existential level of analysis and that you know your life is not going to be linear. And she uses this in an, in an inspirational way to, you know, sort of pull up the Dr. Phyllis's in the world and say, if you're looking at me up here on stage and imagining like, what would it be like to do that? And that seems fulfilling and exciting that there's no reason that this couldn't be you. Um, so this is, you know, part of Elizabeth's message that she's used the show as a platform to disseminate. Um, 
And then Fran asks Walter out to dinner. Yeah. Like and he it. like very adorably doesn't get it. Yeah. Oh, to discuss the 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 show. She's like, yeah. No. <laughs> so very sweet. We ship it. Um. Yeah. yeah. Then we have the tragic council hearing. Melissa. Um. You know, Harriet looks back as she often does to see if anybody is showing up to support her. And yeah. this time, her family is there, and that's nice. Um. We see Summers walk in late. And, of course, he walks in late because somebody has been convincing him to downvote the um, or to upvote the highway. And Harriet loses the motion after seven years of fighting. Yeah. Yeah, this was very predictable, but also I just felt like dealt with very quickly all of a sudden where it's like he walks in. No explanation as to why he just does. I think we just have to assume what's going on here and that's the end of harriet's story do we see her again after this, this episode? um she has uh brownies and beer with elizabeth so we right. see like elizabeth right. coming to like support her and they have that right moment yes, which would have which would have been like an opportunity i think to give her like a little bit more of a note than like okay well you know, you have this friend who supports you, um, that it could have been more of a, of a note to what she's going to do to kind of carry on that mission. For sure. Um, over at the, is it, is it a river where, where Elizabeth does her rowing? I don't know. It's going to be a lake, right? Lake, a lake. Um, we see that Elizabeth is rowing and, uh, leading a boat that's all women. Yeah. So that was cool. Um, Avery is watching her from the shore. They walk and talk about um, about about Calvin, about Elizabeth's future. She wants to get back to science. Um, and Avery mentions that she just so happens to have a foundation dedicated to funding science. Um, and Elizabeth points out your application has a mister and no misses and certainly not a miss. Um, Avery will fix yeah. it and then she wants to help Elizabeth. Yeah. Uh, I, I don't think Avery knows a single thing about, um, Elizabeth's scientific aptitude no. at all, but she's going to, you know, throw her money around and fix all of Elizabeth's problems. It's a DSX mother-in-law. Yep. Yep. <laughs> Um, three years later, we see that Elizabeth is in front of the classroom teaching introduction to chemistry. She says, it's Ms. Zott until I graduate from the PhD program. And she gives her speech while she's passing around one of those construction paper chain mm -hmm. garland like things through the class. Um, and she says, I transcribed uh, most of this, but um, she says, living things are made of atoms, but in most cases, those atoms are not floating around individually. Usually they're interacting with other atoms, both the strong bonds that hold molecules together and the weaker bonds that create temporary connections are essential to the very existence of life. 
Um, a student asks if it's random what atoms are connected. And this is when she says, think of your own life. You can't anticipate the moments. It's only when you look backwards that you see how it's all connected. The only constant variable in a chemical reaction is change, the unexpected. Our job here is not to avoid surprise. We can't control it. There's only one thing to do, surrender. We don't have to accept the bad things, but we do have to accept the inevitability of change both in our own lives and the world around it. This is unlike any chemistry lecture I've ever had. <laughs> um, and not just because of the giant uh, construction paper garland. Um, so it's interesting because I do think that there's sort of an interesting idea to this if we are trying to understand how we ended up where we are now as like a, you know, evolved species and whatever, and we're looking backwards, it's this like, it, it's not that, and not the point that like we were always going to end up here, yeah. but sort of we did end up here and therefore right. how did we get here? Can we look back and understand that mm -hmm. through scientific process? So I think that that is, is not a bad message. And I think it's interesting talking about kind of making sure that you're open to the potential of surprise and change in science mm -hmm. and basically, you know, not just doing experiments that you think you know the answer to, but that you will kind of enter into an experiment, you know, designed, say, you know, with specific questions and maybe potential outcomes in mind, but not necessarily you know, forcing data to fit your worldview, right? That you're willing to be surprised by what you find. And and so I think that all of this is like very in line with the science of it all, but it was just sort of interesting to me that this whole kind of philosophical discussion was what started introduction to chemistry, <laughs> but that's yeah, fine. It's, it's okay. It's very like TV movie, you know, it's like, you know, this is, this is not what any, what any like actual college course would be like, but this is the thesis I think of the series is that like what we've seen is Elizabeth's life as an atom floating around trying to be this individual who doesn't depend on anybody and encountering these surprises, like falling in love and becoming a mother and these things that she didn't anticipate, having a television show. And she's, you know, bouncing around and these unanticipated moments are happening to her. And here she is now, I think, on the precipice of actually completing her PhD, which is something that has always been this guiding principle in her life. And it wasn't a linear path. It was very unpredictable. She couldn't control it, but she surrendered to it and, um, and, you know, allowed herself to connect to people. These, the strong bonds like Calvin, maybe the weaker bonds, like, you know, Dr. Mason who gets her into rowing, but we see like all of these things enter her life you know, Walter via Amanda, who is eating her, her daughter's brownies, like these, these things happen. And it's this force that propels her to where she is. And, um, you know, is that, is that a scientific inevitable inevitability? Um, because 
we change because there's entropy because of all this? Or is that, you know, some higher power that is orchestrating things in this predetermined way, a la Calvinism? Um, I think that this is what the show wanted to deal in. And I think that this speech is the distillation of those concepts. Yeah. So I think it's um, like looking back, I think it gives me appreciation for the story that was being told here. Um, there are just times that I wish that it had done that maybe a bit more purposefully. Um, and it's interesting. I do like seeing the fact that she's teaching here at the end. Mm -hmm. um, it's not unusual for a graduate student to be teaching kind of an introductory mm -hmm. undergraduate course like this, which I thought was neat. Uh, I once had a, a prof be like, you don't have to call me doctor because I don't have my PhD. And I was like, I don't care. But you seem to want to let everybody know that that's your situation. So that was mm -hmm. fine. Um, but yeah, it was interesting. Um, and yeah, we get this whole kind of uh, like talk of hers at the end here about, you know, the greatest scientist she ever knew. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And she quotes Charles Dickens and that's Madeline's favorite book. And that was Calvin's favorite book. And this idea that, um, you know, that that first link on that one memorable day can make great changes in you. Imagine if that day were struck out and how different your course of life would be. Um, so that's Elizabeth in class. We get this lovely montage of her serving her perfect lasagna to a party surrounded by friends and Dr. Mason is there and the Sloan's and Fran and Walter and Avery and Harry, everybody's there. And even the ghost of Calvin is there watching her. Yeah. Why is the doctor here? <laughs> this was like my biggest question in this scene. Well, this again, it's like, this is why, and I feel, and I really, I'm sorry if this is like, you know, that I, you can tell that this is based on a, that this is not a great adaptation of a book because like, I'm sure that there was a lot of that character and the importance of Elizabeth rowing. Like, because I mean, all mm -hmm. he did was got her rowing. Like Calvin introduced her to rowing and then she stopped and she didn't have time. And like we said that there was something like a little bit like magical guardian angels about some of these characters in her life. And like, you know, we find out like, Oh, these are all these atoms that are, influencing her and it's all meant to be but um i'm sure that that was more of a thing in the book and yeah, so if you're a to... book reader and you see this you're like oh yeah yeah cool dr mason's there yeah he's the best but like if you're me and you didn't read the book you're just like what the fuck is this intrusive gynecologist doing at her dinner party yeah. So shout out to um, Aaron in the Discord who has read this book and was sort of letting us know. And she did say, what I feel was missed was the relationship with Dr. Mason and her involvement with the rowing team. She faced a lot of gender discrimination in that area too, but she had a lot of growth there and her women's team was a big milestone. So um, yeah, it certainly seems like there would have been more um, there. Also um, mentioned that 630 actually had something really important towards the end of the book, which was the reason for his backstory early on, but that was left out. Um, 
so yeah, it seems like there's kind of a few different places where it felt like this adaptation yeah. fell short of the many stories that you can kind of pack into a book that you can't fit into eight episodes of TV. Right. And I think that what this adaptation decided to do was to try to do like a grab bag mix of all of the different things that were in the book instead of like pairing out some of it and focusing on a few things to do well and it and it felt like that as a viewer like it felt like there were things like oh like you know i i got more of this than i expected and i didn't get any of this and they met and we started with this and then where did that go and so i think that you know that's something that it's you know it it's it's a place where the adaptation failed and it's not to say that it's a bad story or, you know, like I, I, like I very much believe that it would have done better in the book, but given what this, what it was billed at the pieces of it that I would have liked to see more of is, um, you know, how Elizabeth keeps chemistry in her life after she leaves Hastings lab and her attempts. Cause she's so determined. She builds, the like lab kitchen. She's so determined to continue to do her own research to try to publish independently. To like, yeah. she goes we never through all see the, where that goes at all. That doesn't go anywhere. And like, I think that you know that, like, that was what I was building my expectations towards. And to get that to going so far, and then to spend so much time on Calvin's backstory and Calvin's family. It, it did feel like it undermined what we were doing with this strong female protagonist to ultimately have the love story and her male partner be such a focus. And I'm not going to say that that and like we were saying, I don't care about this. I don't care about this. And I get that, like, if you were a book reader, you would because you would have been more invested in all of these pieces. But in terms of the real estate that the show had to deal with. It felt like an abrupt shift from I'm really focused on Elizabeth and now I find out that Elizabeth's story is going to have to do with who her partner's mother is and we have to spend time fleshing that out. It it, it I I think that it was a it was misused time in terms of the eight episode uh story. I agree. Melissa, do we have a woman in science this week? We do. And I'm particularly excited to share Ooh. this one because she is one of my kind of idols and um, someone that I remember kind of reading about as a child that I was like very excited to sort of and it was funny because it was I had sort of forgotten how closely I followed in her footsteps I uh, so I am talking about Roberta Bondar she is a, a Canadian astronaut and neurologist wow um, so she is Canada's first female astronaut and she was the first neurologist in space period uh, in all the world. And so she has received a ton of different honors, including the Order of Canada, the Order of Ontario, NASA Space Medal, over 22 honorary degrees and induction into the Canadian Medical Hall of Fame. She has a PhD in neuroscience from the University of Toronto, as well as a medical degree 
from McMaster University. And um, yeah, she was one of the first six members of the Canadian Astronaut Corps in 1983. Uh, she basically, her research focused on the impact of space flight and readaptation back to Earth's gravity on the human body. Wow. And so she conducted over 40 experiments in the space lab during her time in space. And um, a lot of her since then, basically after she retired from being an astronaut, she continued doing research with NASA for over a decade, studying this kind of mechanisms underlying the body's ability to recover from exposure in space, uh, finding linkages to Parkinson's disease in addition to other neurological effects, which I thought was very hmm. interesting. Um, she also has this like huge emphasis on um, the environment. She's like a photographer and a whole bunch of other cool stuff. And she has opened the Roberta Bondar Foundation, which is a not-for-profit charity that focuses on environmental awareness. Um, so yeah, she's just a very cool lady and someone whose name like I've sort of been familiar with for a very long time, but I realize it's probably not someone that the world at large is familiar with, but they should be because she is very cool. Oh, that's amazing. That's great. Um, so Melissa, we're, we, we have, we have, uh, graduated from our <laughs> chemistry yeah. 101 class. We're done with lessons of chemistry. Um, oh, it's been, it's been so great to, talk about this show with you. I've really, really loved it. Yeah, I've I've loved it too. I feel like we often uh, have spent other podcasters kind of usually, I think the few minutes before we go on to record the podcast, we're like updating each other about our yeah, work. Our careers, uh -huh. kind of, uh, you know, uh, reminiscing and, and mm -hmm. uh, supporting supporting each other through kind of work transitions that we've been through. So mm -hmm. it was very nice to get to talk about this on a podcast with you and share our experiences and talk about some of the challenges that we faced as a part of that. And uh, I've appreciated you sharing your perspective as like also trying to juggle a family and all of, uh, and all of that. Not that I also have a family. I just, you know, it's just, <laughs> yeah. um, I, am not, I am not some sort of like, you know, spore uh, uh <laughs> um but anyway it was yeah this was really great and i enjoyed getting to shout out all of our kind of women in stem uh yeah the process as well and so it's been um it's been very fun and to have elizabeth as the character that we were like based around talking about as much as we had issues with her story i think she as a character was mm -hmm. one that i very much enjoyed getting to know through this show. Agreed. Um, so what else do you have going on, Melissa? Where can people keep up with you if they're done with lessons in chemistry and they want to hear more? Melissa, where can we go? Sure. Yeah. So follow me on Twitter, Melissa W28, Melissa Woodward28 on other social media. Uh, I was recently on an episode of Shit 90 Shows talk taught me talking freaks and geeks mm -hmm. i am always talking doctor who with kevin and adam the new doctor who 60th anniversary specials are starting to air so the podcast just dropped uh basically while we were recording this podcast <laughs> for the first special so that's very exciting and something that people can sort of dive into even if they haven't been watching doctor who up until this point or com coming along with the podcast so that's very exciting and um yeah otherwise talking burrows end with rich so dimension 20s uh D, D show we i got to my last podcast i got to have with austin uh and we have another special guest coming up for the last 
episode of the the last podcast covering the last two episodes of that series. So that's super fun. And then otherwise, uh, who knows? Maybe more stuff in the near future. So yeah. Ooh. Exciting tease. Um, and uh, you can keep up with everything that I'm doing by following me on Twitter, where I am Dr. Amanda R. And right now I am covering uh, The Curse, which is on Showtime and Paramount Plus with Showtime. Um, it's the Nathan Fielder, Benny Zofty scripted series starring uh, Nathan Fielder and Emma Stone. Grace Leader and I are covering that. And um, even though the reviews uh, from the Rotten Tomato audience score are decidedly lukewarm, um, Grace and I are very, very high on this show. And uh, a lot of critics yes. agree. And we think that this is uh, really, really interesting, groundbreaking stuff. Not for the faint of heart quite darkly comedic uh a very very cringy uh if you're looking for a likable feel-good story this is probably not for you but if you are into nathan fielder's brand of humor and looking for something that is exploring some of the darker sides of media i think that this is a very satisfying watch um and in addition to that i am also talking about six feet under doing two episodes a week with ariel we're having so much fun revisiting the first season of that show we are just past the halfway mark of Season one, Six Feet Under, is now available on Max and Netflix. So if you haven't gotten around to watching it yet, I definitely recommend that you check it out and check out the podcast because we're having a really, really great time revisiting a show that holds up in many ways, but is also very much showing its age. And we're taking you through all of that on the podcast. Amazing. Yeah, I definitely need to check that out. It was definitely a show that I heard lots of buzz about at the time, but Ooh. missed me by. So yeah. Oh, I would love to hear what you think if you end up checking that out. Um, well, it's just been such a pleasure to uh, connect with the audience over this show. I'm definitely curious to check out the book now. Um, but you know, I want to say Let's begin, shall we? But I think we're going to end here. Um, and this has been uh, this is this has been a great show to talk about. So until next time, goodbye. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry. Sorry. We're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No. Lucky Land Casino. With cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. 
Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say. Your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, lo. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW group. Void prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.